Chapter ten of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part two, by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter ten. Paris, November eighteen twenty one. Mirabeau. By the irregularities and accidents of his life, Mirabeau was mixed up with the greatest events and brought into contact with convicts, ravishers, and adventurers. Mirabeau, the tribune of the aristocracy, the representative of the democracy, combined in his character Gracchus and Don Juan, Catiline and Guzman d'Alfarache, Cardinal Richelieu and Cardinal de Retz, the roué of the regency and the terrorist of the revolution. Moreover, Mirabeau possessed the character of his family, Florentine exiles who retained their armed palaces, and were conspicuous as specimens of those leaders of faction celebrated by dante his ancestors were naturalized in france where the republican spirit of the italians of the middle ages and the feudal spirit of the middle ages in france were found united in a succession of extraordinary men the ugliness of mirabeau engrafted upon the element of beauty peculiar to his race produced a species of striking figure such as those in the last judgment of michelangelo the fellow-countryman of the Arighetti the deep furrows left by the smallpox on the orator's face were like scars left by fire nature seemed to have moulded his head either for dominion or the gallows fashioned his arms either to hold down a nation or to carry off a woman when he shook his locks and looked at the people he subdued them to his will when he raised his fist and showed them his nails the multitude became furious in the midst of the most frightful disorders of a sitting i have seen him at the tribune dark ugly and motionless he recalled to mind Milton's chaos, impassable and without form, in the centre of confusion. Mirabeau resembled his father and his uncle, who, like Saint-Simon, wrote immortal pages in honour of the devil. These furnished him with speeches for the tribune. He took from them whatever his mind could amalgamate with his own substance. Whenever he adopted them as a whole, he delivered them boldly. It was obvious they were not his own from occasional words which were mixed up with them, and which revealed himself. His energy was the offspring of his vices and these vices were not the children of a frigid temperament but of passions deep burning and tempestuous cynicism of manners by the annihilation of the moral sense introduces a kind of barbarism into society these barbarians of society are men fitted to destroy like the goths but destitute of their power of reconstruction the latter were enormous children of a virgin nature the former monstrous abortions of a depraved one i have twice met mirabeau at a banquet once at the marquise de villette's voltaire's niece and a second time at the palais royal with the deputies of the opposition to whom i was introduced by chapelier chapelier was drawn to the scaffold in the same wagon with my brother and m de malzerbe mirabeau talked a great deal and especially a great deal about himself this son of lions and himself a lion with the head of the chimera this man so positive in his facts was all romance all enthusiasm in imagination and language in him might be seen the lover of sophie exalted in his sentiments and capable of sacrifices i have found her said he that adorable woman i knew her soul a soul formed by the hands of nature in a moment of magnificence mirabeau enchanted me with his tales of love with his recollections of that retreat where he passed his time in dry discussions he interested me still more by his accounts of another passage in his life like myself he had been harshly treated by his father who like mine had preserved the inflexible traditions of absolute paternal authority the great guest spoke profusely on foreign politics but said almost nothing of home affairs which nevertheless completely occupied his mind 
occasional expressions escaped him which showed his sovereign contempt for men who made pretensions to superiority by the indifference which they affected towards evils and crimes mirabeau was by nature generous sensible to friendship and ready to pardon offences notwithstanding his immorality he was unable to repress the workings of his conscience it was only dead for himself his upright and firm mind never regarded murder as a sublimity of intelligence he felt no admiration whatever for the slaughter-houses and lay-stalls mirabeau however was not deficient in pride he boasted enormously and though he became a draper in order to be elected by the tiers-etat the nobility having had the honourable folly to reject him he was very proud of his birth his father called him a wild bird whose nest was among four turrets he never forgot that he had appeared at court ridden in one of the king's carriages and accompanied him to the hunt he required to be addressed by the title of count he stuck to his colours and loaded his servants with livery when every one else gave it up in season and out of season he always quoted his relation the admiral de coligny the monitor having called him riquet do you know said he with warmth to the journalist that with your riquet you have confounded europe for three days he was accustomed to repeat the following impudent and well-known pleasantry in another family my brother the viscount would be the man of genius and the vagabond in my family he is the fool and the good man biographers attribute this saying to the viscount when comparing himself with humility to the other members of his family in the main mirabeau's feelings were monarchical as may be seen from the following beautiful expressions i was anxious to cure the french of the superstition of monarchy and to replace it by its worship in a letter intended to be brought under the notice of louis the sixteenth he wrote i had no desire to have laboured merely for a vast destruction that however was what took place heaven in order to punish us for our unemployed talents has sent us repentance for our success mirabeau moved opinions by two levers on the one hand he made the masses his fulcrum of whom whilst despising them he had constituted himself the defender on the other although a traitor to his order he retained its sympathy by other affinities of caste and common interests this never could have happened to a plebeian who might have become the champion of the privileged classes such an one would have been abandoned by his own party without gaining the aristocracy which is in its very nature ungrateful and inaccessible to all not born within its ranks the aristocracy moreover cannot improvise a noble because nobility is the daughter of time mirabeau founded a school by freeing themselves from the bonds of morality the men of this school imagined that they became statesmen these imitations have never produced anything better than perverse dwarfs he who flatters himself at being corrupt and a robber is merely a debauchee and a knave he who believes himself virtuous is only vile he who boasts of being criminal is only infamous too soon for himself and too late for it mirabeau sold himself to the court and the court bought him he staked his reputation against a pension and an embassy cromwell was on the brink of bartering his future fame for a title and the order of the garter in spite of his haughtiness mirabeau did not value himself high enough now that abundance of money and places has raised the price of consciences there is not a political tumbler who does not cost hundreds of thousands of francs and the highest honours of the state the tomb released mirabeau from his promises and sheltered him from dangers which probably he would not have been able to overcome his life showed his weakness for good his death has left him in possession of his power for evil going away from dinner there arose some discussion about mirabeau's enemies i was by his side and had not spoken a word he looked in my face with his eyes of pride genius and vice and placing his hand upon my shoulder said they will never pardon me for my superiority i still feel the impression of that hand as if satan had touched me with his claw of fire when mirabeau fixed his eye on the young mute had he a presentiment of my future productions 
did he think that he would one day be summoned back to my recollection i was destined to become the historian of high personages they have filed before me without my having attached myself to their cloaks so as to be drawn along with them to posterity mirabeau has already undergone that metamorphosis which takes place amongst those whose memories must live carried from the pantheon to the common sewer and from the sewer back to the pantheon he has been elevated to the very pinnacle of the time which now serves as his pedestal the real mirabeau is no longer to be seen but mirabeau idealized such as artists draw him in order to render him the symbol or myth of the period which he represents in this way he becomes both more true and more false out of so many reputations actors events and ruins only three men remain one belonging to each of the three great revolutionary periods mirabeau to the aristocracy robespierre to the democracy and bonaparte to despotism monarchy has none france has paid dear for these three reputations which virtue cannot acknowledge End of chapter 10